Hello. I couldn't help but wonder. I couldn't help but wonder. I couldn't help but wonder. Who is this? Sometimes I feel like throwing my hands up in the air. You don't seem like a Miranda. What do I seem like? A Rambo. <laughs> Who are you? I am Rambo. Who is this? I am Rock. Did you change your name at school to Rock? And welcome to And Just Like Crap. No, 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 no. And Just Like Crap. And, 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 just, 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 just like crap. Sometimes I feel like throwing my hands up in the air. I know I can count on you. Sometimes I feel like saying, Lord, I just don't care. But you've got the love I need to see me through. Sex in the City. Betsy Von Muffling was back for two seconds, but then she disappeared. Otherwise, let's go. Concept by concept, scene by scene, Manolo by Manolo into some tragically underlooked dull feminist filth, presumably popular today with the key AB zombie woke female demographic of Instagram ladies who should jog on. Rock, are you watching it? I am watching wholeheartedly. What, so what are your initial impressions? My initial impression from the opening scene was, oh God, what is happening? Mostly the, the overacting was very uncomfortable to me and they clearly weren't comfortable in the characters again yet. It was always very camp, you know. It was always, yeah. like, especially in the Darren Star days, it was always like, um, I mean, despite Emily in Paris, I remain very much Team Star. I don't know how you feel about that, but a uh, big fan of Younger. Um, love Younger. Tried to watch Emily in Paris, wanted to shoot myself. I'm going to possibly try again, but for now it was horrible to me. <laughs> what, to shoot yourself? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it um, didn't work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a fair enough comment that they they were not yet comfortable in the characters. They become slightly more comfortable in the characters. I would like to argue that Kristen Davis never becomes comfortable in her character. But she she never has. And I am, as you know, uh, rock a little on the older side. I'm more of your Samantha Jones PR kind of age, you know what I mean? And I remember when Darren Starr, who inherited the tragic mess at the time that was Melrose Place. You remember, do you remember Melrose Place in its withering days? I have been waiting for it to come on a streaming service. That and Models. What was it, Models Inc.? I am desperate for both of those to be streamed. Oh, also a little bit of Central Park West might be nice. Ooh, yes, I've forgotten that one. That was a star production too and I think strangely, uh, marvellously and uh, repugnantly enough, Brett Easton Ellis appears in the premiere. I don't think it lasted quite a season. But Kristen Davis became the kind of camp protege of Darren Starr as Brooke in Melrose Place. Do you remember when Melrose Place made the transition from kind of a, a semi-creditable drama into outrageous camp melodrama? arguably its best era. I absolutely do. It was a great time for all. And that was, you know, Kimberly revealing the wig and what have you. And I I mean, he really encouraged the comedy out of Mm. Kristen Davis. Now, there are several moments that I can remember from the original series where Kristen Davis is really funny. I mean, you can't forget anal. I think I have forgotten anal. Do you not remember? In more more ways than one. (laughs) 
Um, I, I, it might even be in the pilot uh, of Sex in the City where they're discussing, and in 1998, this is a sort of a big deal, um, mm. they're, they're, the four of them are in a cab. I mean, they're all on their way to various dates, but uh, the Kristen Davis character, uh, Charlotte, uh, Charlotte York, then Charlotte York now, Charlotte York Goldenblatt, discovers uh, that uh, the gentleman she's seeing, he reveals to her that he would, you know, like to try a little bit of backdoor action. They all immediately stop their plans. Do you remember this? I do remember this. I thought you were talking about something about a scene from Melrose Place. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Okay, no, no, I do remember this, yes. Please forgive me. And they all, I think it might even be the pilot, and so they all, so they're all very busy um, with their their hot New York men and what have you, but they all get in the same uh, taxi as, uh, as as Charlotte Kristen Davis to to discuss anal sex and whether or not uh, at what date is appropriate to agree to it, how to brace for it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, whoever this is, I can't talk. I'm late for a drink thing. I just need five minutes. I'm, I'm meeting Brian later and I don't know what to do. About what? Well... Last night, uh, after a movie, we're walking down 2nd Avenue and we just passed that Four minutes, little... Charlotte. Okay. I can't just, just blurt out what he asked me. It's embarrassing. What? What did the perfect boyfriend ask? We've been seeing each other for a couple of weeks. I really like you. And tomorrow night, after dinner, I want us to have anal sex. If he goes up your butt, will he respect you more or respect you less? That's the issue. Front, back, who cares? A hole is a hole. Can I quote you? Oh, don't be so judgmental. You could use a little back door. I'm not a hole. I went to Smith. In those days, did you not find Kristen Davis quite funny? Oh, I like I, I thought Kristen Davis. I was absolutely Tim Kristen Davis before that. Like, there's a bunch of I can't I honestly can't remember which films, but there's a bunch of like early '90s films and mid '90s films that she appeared in as bit characters. But I remember remembering her, not knowing her name. And then yeah. when she showed up on Sex in the City, and I was arguably in my like mid to late teens, yeah, lateish teens. Mm. Um, You're just a young being rock. really ex- young rock, um, being super excited that she was in it. And I like Charlotte was one of my favorites for most of like the initial show, most of the. the first oh, you know, seasons. I always I always aspired to be a Charlotte. Yeah, or she she was the she was kind of the realist in a lot of ways. Like I I th- I, I know that that character exists, that kind of prim and proper. Oh, but, the rule and the rules girl too from yeah. New York is very much a real thing. Yeah, exactly. But the two films like were just abhorrent, and she was abhorrent, and they were all abhorrent, and it was terrible. Again, not Darren Star vehicles. No, um, this. I relaxed into. I, I I guess the problem is like this can also be talked about in. Miranda kind of has a like Miranda's journey is that to me and that is that in the first season the first episode of the new season she's insufferable and she's bumbling and she's making all these racial woke trip ups but sh- that kind of goes for her a bit whereas Do you Kristen think? Davis a Obviously, bit I, not no not no, as, no, not no. totally Rock, I guess I, when I cannot agree I cannot concur Miranda Hobbs, right, the cool-headed, reasonable Miranda Hobbs who, Mm. let us remember, has just, you know, she's just enrolled in uh, coursework for her master's at Columbia in uh, International Principles of Human Rights Law with Professor Naya. Now, prior to that, I think she was a Harvard alum, either Harvard or Yale, one of the two, uh, working in, you know, the, the highest and holiest regions of New York corporate law. 
Now, my argument is that somebody who works within that context, you know, and she makes many references to having appeared in court and what have you, Mm. would not trip up that much. Absolutely not. I Well, I agree definitely in the first episode. Like I definitely agree with that. She's bumbling, you know, but I think just from a pure comfortable in her character bit, for me she kind of grows, like settles down into it throughout the series Whereas okay. Charlotte, to me, is always very jarring. Miranda is in, is insufferable as a character, but I think Cynthia Nixon is playing it relaxed, yeah. like she's in it. Whereas I never believe Kristen Davis. I never believe the lines she's delivering. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I find Miranda somewhat less than credible. I mean, you do take my point, though. Like, um, you know, in, in liberal progressive New York, somebody with her position and somebody with, you know, her storied mm. history um, of doing well in the finest mm. halls of America. You know, she's an American success story. There mm. is no way she'd fuck up that much. No, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm just saying that, that Cynthia Nixon is able to relax into her character of playing that bumbling person, yeah. even though I don't believe the bumbling person. Yeah, uh, maybe. I mean, for me, uh, I think I'm going to place a lot of blame for what I find a fairly incomplete character. I mean, I I should point out, um, I loved none of them, none of Mm. them before. No. It was more of, you know, it was sort of like a a tick, a habitual mistake one made watching Sex and the City, wasn't it? Yeah, and look, it was, they were within that kind of, to me, they were within the context of Seinfeld, not on the same level as Seinfeld, but in the terms of characters that I don't like, but I enjoy watching. Yeah. That's all- Seinfeld, Girls, Frasier, like it's, you know, it's a hallowed field. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah I never I, ne- I never enjoyed, Charlotte was probably the one I enjoyed the most, again. Uh, the thing about Sex and the City, though, uh, I mean, it's sort of like early prestige television. Uh, shortly after The Sopranos, uh, yeah. Not- too long after Twin Peaks, of course, you know, as you point out, it's not quite in that register um, dramatically or conceptually. It is shot on film or, or was. It does look like ludicrously beautiful. Yeah. And it was this sort of hyperbolic, uh, very camp uh, Darren star world. That a lot of people used to talk about, oh, how the friendship mattered so much between. I, I was never really, there were moments early on where, you know, the fabled anal scene, for example. But uh, for me, you know, this whole bullshit about how it shows the truth of friendship between women, well, you know, maybe the truth of friendship between sort of very uh, callow, high-end, high-earning um, <laughs> women from New York City conceivably, yeah. which, which is virtually fucking nothing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, for me, I sort of, well, I haven't got a lot on at the moment, Rock. I haven't got a lot on. Um <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I did search the internet for what, uh, Darren Starr had to say. I mean, and like, again, Emily in Paris, execrable. Uh, but you know, he was, he was reasonably, uh, restrained in, in what he had to say uh, about the, the reboot or, you know, you're the fashion, the fashion lady, should we call it a re-chew or is that just, that's a bit on the nose, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, I can't support that. Sorry. Um, he says, I'm happy that those who want to do it are doing it, but if it were up to me, I wouldn't do it because it's not what's moving me right now. This is what he said recently. That um, is a good and, statement. Yeah, and what he said in the past is um, 
I think the show, the show that ended in 2004, uh, just to refresh your, your, your memory, uh, ladies, uh, gentlemen, and indeed those neither X nor Y, oh, my God, Carrie's gender podcast. I can't wait to talk about that. Oh, my God. He also said, I think the show ultimately betrayed what it was about. And he was talking about the finale here. Uh, mm. which is when we finally find out Big's name because it appears on uh, Carrie's flip phone as John, John Preston, uh, which was that women don't ultimately find happiness from marriage. Now, did you always want Carrie to end up with Mr. Big? I wasn't ever thinking of an ending for Sex and the City, you know, and I think for me the show is really about um, the fact that women don't need to be defined by men or by marriage. I mean, I think that is like... It, it's how it breaks the romantic comedy mold of Hollywood, is that ultimately the, the, the strongest relationships these women have is, are, are with themselves. Not that they can't have men or be with men or have relationships with men, but they're not going to be defined by men or by marriage. I have, I have uh, affection for Darren Starr in the same way as I have affection for Mark Cherry. Programs like uh, Desperate Housewives, the initial series of, of Sex in the City, and also Mark Cherry's more recent outing. I uh, don't know if you've seen it, Why Women Kill. No, I have, I've heard of that. I haven't seen it. Is it any good? Uh, yeah, look, it's, 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 not, it's not bad. I mean, it's just like they, these, these guys for me, they're like the, you know, they're like the showrunner equivalent of, of Versace, you know, very, very much um, kind of like overpowered, joyously so, by uh, feminine energy uh, mm. and um, clearly had, had observed the lack of happiness and the lack of resolution from romance in women's lives. So, I mean, by that stage, he was not involved. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit, uh, I, don't, I don't know why I'm sort of, you know, experiencing disappointment over something that I, I didn't like. I think it's because, uh, you know, just like the decay of the 21st century, <laughs> generally, you know, just didn't think it could get much worse. But, um, and just like crap, and just like that is actually rock, way worse than Sex in the City. And I'm going to go further and say, worse even than Sex in the City 2, the movie, Lawrence of Mylabia. Okay, I definitely can't can't support that. Really? But look, I truly love Sex in the City, the original. I truly love the season, whether it's, you know, conceptually, whatever it is, I love it. I love watching it. I still watch reruns sometimes. I'm not, it's, it's not like my favourite show in the world, mm. but I, I get a lot of enjoyment from that yeah. show. I take pleasure um, from it too. It's a confection yeah. visually. Yeah. And sometimes it really is on the nose. Like it does have poignant moments and it does, when it does, like I think that when they do stick to like sex life stuff, there is, I think, you know, and for the time that it was and for, the, for, for how old I was when it was out and what I was going through, you know, it was the first show of its kind to go there. And I still think that's, interesting and relevant and I yeah. still enjoy watching it. I, I um, think for a lot of um, late millennial slash ex-women that it was something that did hold a certain lure because one did not hear women, you know, uh, outside sort of like San Francisco conversation talking uh, about sexual practices like that. And being emboldened and being empowered and being, you know, and I, I grew up being encouraged as a feminist strong woman in in many ways by my school by my mother 
but sex wasn't sex was still not a part of that conversation at that time I I imagine and and assume it's much more with my teenage nieces and nephews like it's much more out there and they know more and it's you know we thought we were so emboldened and educated and you know we knew very very little and so this show really kind of went there and I think that was amazing and I think that if you go one of the interesting things to me when having looked back on the show over time is that you know you go to the first I don't know if it's the whole first season or just the first couple of episodes but you know how there's all the vox pops they've got people on the street they cut to you know it's 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 a much more kind of mixed media Yes, yes, yeah, that's right. I think they last for quite a few seasons. Um, I can't remember the, the bloke, uh, Greg something or other, who wrote. Um, he was he was a writer on the show. He was sort of employed for the heterosexual male perspective. Uh, you know, he came up with the phrase uh, in in the particular episode. He's just not that into you. Uh, then wrote the book. He's he's just not mm. that into you. And and you know, so the women were seen within a, a, a context of um, different opinions, and there was still also very much the mark of Candace Bushnell's writing on it. Mm. I mean, the first, uh, the very first episode, the, the pilot takes direct quotes, like, uh, you know, she was very punny and stuff like that. Mm. But, yes, um, so, yeah, you, you've, you've, you're very right. Like, I, I remember this phrase and I've flown the co-op and things like that, like sort of New York New York City. It was very New York as well, like in a different way. I think the show is always true to its assertion that New York is the fifth character and it's all it's been highlighted but this was really like these are New Yorkers like they were you know there was always like the busy running suit guy and there was like they with with the vox pops that they cut to they showed like a slice and for again for Australians particularly you know young Australians who haven't traveled and New York is this hallowed place yeah it also had a huge effect in Australia on um the travel habits of younger women I have I have this uh, on the authority uh, as a in a former incarnation as a travel writer. Uh, this is an observation about mm, ten years old, I suppose. Uh, I think New York and Company is the tourist board for, or what we'd call a tourist board for for New York. And I just thought uh, I had this idea that you know, well, of course we knew that certain women went and they did the Sex and the City location tour, um, but I. Wonder. And I wondered. Which led me to wonder. I had to wonder. I started to wonder. I couldn't help but 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 wonder. I couldn't help wondered perhaps if they were going to, and a friend of mine certainly did, or a couple of friends, go to New York specifically for the purpose of having sex in, in that city. And there was a huge uptick after Sex in the City of Australian women, um, you know, between 30 and 40, travelling uh, solo to New York City, which I find quite mm. sweet, don't you? Um, it's adorable. I, I find anyone who goes anywhere and does a, a film or television tour of anywhere kind of adorable. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, fuck you, Aaron Sorkin, for um, conceivably one of the worst shows you've ever made, and that's saying something considering the West Wing, the newsroom, repugnant. Um, yeah. And there's there's a, a very, very cruel parody of the sorts of women who go on the Sex and the City tour. 
And did you did you did you last? For, I watch a lot of television. I didn't. Right? I didn't watch it. I mean, I love again, not because it's a good show or a good representation of how politics works. I love The West Wing. I love it a lot. I love the characters. Oh my God. I'm it, in. It, just huge, huge revulsion for that <laughs> idealized I just, show. And th- this I is have sort of huge a- revulsion for for Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> Oh, I have huge, huge revulsion for this idea of like a functioning liberal democracy. Like at the at the very same time, like I mean, that prick started writing it um, as a pie end to the Clinton administration. It's like, mm. oh, remember the good days when Bill Clinton was? Oh yeah, fucking NAFTA. That ended well, didn't it? Um, but I'm um, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll come. I'll calm down. Rock. What I want to say, uh, I just want to bring you back and look a, a little bit more at uh, the uh, first episode, Hello, It's Me, of And Just Like That. Uh, you're listening, by the way, to And Just Like Crap. This idea, and and it became sort of so hackneyed because the girls would say it on any junket, oh, New York City's our fifth character. Well, it's not in this show. Uh, no. Although there are some scenes in the subway, which is very shocking. I mean, that no, they me, go to Brooklyn at one point. It's so insane. They, they, they do. They leave the island of Manhattan and they use the subway. Um, so I, it just starts very strangely. It doesn't look the same, um, at all. And so we, the opening scene, we encounter three of them because of course, Kim Cattrall, um, AKA Samantha Jones is missing. Isn't with us. She isn't with us, which is addressed very, very early on. I mean, to me, almost kind of like leaving the invitation open for Kim Cattrall to rejoin the cast, wouldn't you say? I I have been waiting for that to happen. I'm not convinced that she won't make an appearance. I, I, she seems legitimately angry. Um, do you remember her brother died quite tragically, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, about a year ago mm. or something, yeah. or two two years ago, yeah. uh, and uh, SJP on Insta said, "I'm so sorry for your loss," or something like that. She just fucking went her. It was brilliant. Parker writing, "Dearest Kim, my love and condolences to you and yours, and Godspeed to your beloved brother." Cottrell firing back, posting, "I don't need your love or support at this tragic time, Sarah Jessica Parker." Writing in the caption, your continuous reaching out is a painful reminder of how cruel you really were then and now. Let me make this very clear. You are not my friend. Stop exploiting our tragedy in order to restore your nice girl persona. These bitches need to be put in their places. Yeah, I look, yeah I'm still not convinced that some work for any woman in Hollywood over 30 isn't appealing um, at some stage and that she might not uh, show yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it'd be a huge yeah. payday, but I mean, clearly there's very deep yeah. resentment there. And you know, it was a, it was a, I, I think, um, a, a legitimate critique that any of us who have ever used um, the horror that is social media that can understand. Well, if you're going to send me your fucking condolences, do yeah. it privately, like a fucking grown up. Would you concur? You've had a little bit of grief in your oh, life. Oh, absolutely. There, I think that was like, if she hadn't also done it privately, like, fine, do it publicly if you need to, but if you haven't texted that person, called that person, sent flowers to that person or anything, then fuck off with your social media condolences. 
Indeed. So, um, you know, we, we wait and see. They've, they've left it very open. There's, there's multiple references to Samantha uh, throughout, uh, through, throughout the series. First, in the opening scene, um, the, we encountered the three of them uh, waiting a table at a buzzing New York City restaurant called Clay, a buzzing New York City restaurant which does not exist, which mm. was really interesting um, because of, you know, uh, the city is the fifth character, blah, blah, blah. They were always very, very careful to set it up for a later tour, you know, like you went to real places. Clay, uh, which is not, as far as I can tell, a uh, reference to a word in any existing language, um, might be a misspelling of the French for clay. It's uh, Old English for a claw. Uh, haven't got a lot on again, Rock. <laughs> it also refers to the red shank, uh, a, a group of bird. Uh, it's a stocky brown wader with with red legs. But I mean, I don't know why clay. There's not even an accent over the e, and that happens a couple of times in in the premiere episode. We we get to when Miranda goes to and you know keeps tripping over her first uh, policies and principles oh my of God. humanitarian I can't watch, law. I couldn't watch it. Uh, I couldn't watch uh, it. I couldn't watch so, it. It was horrible. No, I mean she's just she, it's 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 fucking awful. And I don't know if it's Cynthia Nixon's fault, really. Um I think it's, you know, appalling writing. But um I just want to before she goes into she's had a little bit of Dutch courage because and just like that, Miranda Hobbs has a drinking problem which is exactly when you, you know, start a Masters. And she's in, um, she's in a bar. It's actually Michael's Bar on the Lower East Side, but she's supposed to be opposite Columbia. What are you doing, location scouts? Are you not angry about this? I mean, this is the sort of shit that, you know, you and we all kind of like enjoyed to some degree about Sex in the City in that it was a very hyperbolic look at, well, I mean, I trust you, Rock, that um, – it told you what the last gasp items in in fashion were, and certainly the last gasp in different restaurants and and what have you. And so we're just kind of like you know without a location a lot of the time, and you know you can kind of tell that it's not the sort of bar that would be open at eleven a.m. Do you remember the scene? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, that looked real to me. That looked like seven hundred different New York restaurant and grill bars that okay. would be everywhere. But, but what I'm going to say is not real is to order a Chablis by the glass. You can't. Hardly ever happens. Um, so she orders a Chablis prior to 11am after worldwide supplies of uh, Burgundy's Best have completely dried up, by the way. Do you know that there's a Chablis shortage? I did not. And before the moment that I think I really turn on um, MPK, Michael Patrick King, because I think it's a very unkind, one of one of several very unkind uh, moments to the character of Miranda, uh, and he's sort of like ordering her like the menopausal woman's drink. You know, it's a very particular decision of King's because it's a you know it's a specialty drop, and as I said, you can't really order it by the glass. It, you know, it's not widely available. It's a very kind of like refined use um, of the the Chardonnay grape. I, I grew up with wine drinkers. And it, I don't. I don't think it's intended to show Miranda as a connoisseur of um, the the best of Burgundy, because apparently it's a very reputable drink. Like you know, the vintners of Bourgogne are praised for it. But I think it's just intended to show that you know she's ordering a white wine, like you know the old lady's drink, uh, and that she's a kind of like a mess of hot flashes. Um, and you know, and here we have 
uh, Miranda, and we've already kind of like pointed out, oh, her hair's grey, um, Charlotte, uh, uh, your golden blatt's not happy with this. Um, that whole you know, bit was infuriated me more than anything else. That, yeah, the grey the, the gray hair no, thing. No one would, and I know it's not a realistic show and I don't like to put like real people wouldn't do that on, but honestly. Oh, that- God, no, no, absolutely. <laughs> Excellent point, can I say. Excellent point. That was uncalled for. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I I, I mean, there seems to me to be a, a great deal of sort of like animus in the, in the script for the character well, especially of Miranda. when Kristen Davis in real life then turns around because, you know, a lot of the focus of the internet and they're in a new world where social media is going to comment on everything they say this wasn't the case it's much more scrutinized it's much more straight it's much more upfront. yeah people are commenting on the work they've had done and and what they look like and blah 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 which yes should be no one's right to comment on anyone else's opinion blah 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 but if you do a show that's based on appearance and then you do scenes where you're commenting on your co-star's appearance I know she wouldn't have written the scene but it's just such a huge disconnect to me and it, it, it angered me. Yeah, and it's also, and let's not forget also that Miranda, and I've already sort of like mentioned um, how political speech, like um, not being offensive was sort of like her stock in trade as a corporate lawyer. Um, the, you know, the other thing that I kind of uh, had issue with was this particular ordering of this particular drink. Miranda was, okay, she was the least fashion conscious of the four which still makes her way more fashion conscious than anybody else and there were there were always references previously to you know I mean Miranda didn't want to move to to Brooklyn uh, Miranda was always very conscious um, of those sorts of things so why wasn't she ordering like an Aperol spritz or something like that isn't that the drink that the kids like today that and the espresso martini is fucking back. Have you heard that? Yeah, the espresso. Oh, that's been back a while, darling. That's, that's but what big. is that? Is it was it Aperol Spritz from twenty twenty one? I don't know. Aperol. Uh, it's Negroni and Aperol Spritz. I guess have been have been big for a little while. I just I just think it was more meant to show that she was a fish out of water ordering something for an uptown woman in a in a downtown place. Um, but she was uptown in Columbia. Oh, was she uptown in Columbia? Uh, um, arguably got a downtown vibe because it's you know virtually in Harlem but um, yeah I guess yeah um I took a, goes, I took a more as show an early sign of her alcoholism like as soon as I saw that I was like okay we're going we're dealing with Miranda with a drinking problem like that, yeah I that's mean it's, where just, it's you know first of all we have this woman who doesn't give any fucks right mm. and is ordering uh boldly you know white mm. wine at mm. uh you know an appellation of white wine at 11, before 11 o'clock in the morning uh, and then all of a sudden, despite the fact that she's had Dutch courage, then she's like suddenly, as you, you pointed out earlier, like sort of like corroding with the weight of other people's opinions when she puts her uh, foot foul of uh, allyship in her 20th century mouth a hundred times in front of Professor Naya using pronouns hither and thither um, and whatnot. I mean, we shouldn't go on about that. But, I mean, neither of us found that realistic for that particular character. If there were... No. I mean, if Kim Cattrall had still been in the show, she 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 would run afoul very much of like um, the new woke convention that Charlotte and I kind of liked this. I like the fact that Charlotte is adopting in, in a very empty way the the speech of a progressive uh, of a purportedly progressive era. 
you know, like, um, and there's not really a voice apart from Anthony who would say, oh, I don't care about that. Yeah, I feel um, like if Samantha was in was more in that position that Miranda was in, if Samantha suddenly decided to go to uni, and I feel like in any reference to like gender, you know, Miranda, I'm sorry, Samantha would make some funny jokers like I only see sex and wash yes, it and, yeah. and wipe it away, and it would be less I don't know what I'm talking about, and just more like I don't care. Yeah, 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 abs- absolutely. But there is like a unified dedication to, you know, absorbing the, this crazy new world. They're, they're all eager to say that the world's changed, COVID is over, and now we practice allyship and use correct. Okay, okay, all right, like on one level, how fucking nice, right? Like isn't that lovely? But in another and, you know, in a critical reading of Charlotte, like she is so eager to have a minority friend right? Like this is, this is now very much part of her social status. You you know, the absolute kind of like financial centre of the world where all this wealth is accumulated and the global South is created. Like, you know, how repugnant, how much ill comes out of the NASDAQ, um, particularly during COVID. Biggest transfer of wealth in human history, I think, happened in April of 2020 during, during COVID on the NASDAQ. Because, you know, there's no fucking money in the, in the real economy. It's all happening on the, on the shadow economy. So I sort of like what I felt was an inherent critique in, in Charlotte of only accepting this because, you know, it's done. Right. Yeah. She clearly. I mean, it's it, it, there's a few ways of looking at it, and I'm still not settled on how I think about it completely. But like, it is di- it's diverse palooza. Like they yes. they knew they knew they had to up their game in some ways, um, being at one of the whitest shows in history, um, yeah. like historically. But I was like, and especially for for the first episode, I was like, okay, we're gonna cram trans and non-binary and black and like it's I was just like like okay (laughs) yeah it's just like this big undifferentiated mass of difference yeah Uh, and look I'd like to point out that we're two white cis ladies having this conversation but yeah I just like one of the things well thank you for thank you for pointing that out comrade you're welcome um but yeah, oh, come I just, on. I mean, it's 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 fallacious. It's using the fucking Fendi baguette. It's it's using kind of like the language of diversity as a you know as as an accessory. Like yeah. the fifth the fifth lady is now this false progressivism. Yeah. It's just like you know we don't mind um, if things don't change shape as as long as you know our leaders are diverse. Um, and I, like I'm sure that this has been discussed ad infinitum on social media something that the COVID era taught me not to enjoy anymore. But, you know, in, in another sense, it's very much uh, exploited um, to an end of absolutely no character development in my view. Um, I don't know, uh, you know, I, I don't think it facilitate in the way that it's approached, it doesn't facilitate the action. Um, one of the pieces of uh, diverse casting, I mean, and like, you know, in terms of like, uh, workers on television getting gigs, absolutely fine. Uh, uh, one of the pieces of casting was quite interesting. Um, it's the non-binary character of Shay Rivera, uh, who is now Carrie's boss, right? And, oh, gosh, uh, what's their name? What's their name in real life? Sarah Ramirez. Previously on, and this is perfect, Grace. 
Yeah, I, I, when this came on, I was looking at them and going like where, to, like trying to place it. And then I was like, and so my history with Grey's Anatomy is that I watched like the first one or two seasons and was into it as like a great But soap. not the following and 23. Just, well, I didn't know. I was at my sister's a couple of years ago, like maybe two or three years ago, and I was like, what are you watching? And she said Grey's Anatomy, and I was like, real ones? And she was like, no. And I was like, what? And I had no idea it was still gone. Yeah, no, it's it's a, you know, it's a sort of a. With the same people, and, I mean, good luck good luck to them. They're, some of them are clearly like lots of Home and Away stars do here and go, this is a paid gig for life. That's what I'm yeah. doing. But I, I just, um, I mean, I enjoyed that piece of colour. I mean, you know, actually it's one of the most watched shows um watch western shows in the world um it's up there with ci uh, with csi you know one of those shows that yeah. television oh, critics never watch but everybody else does yeah and i get it like fire is popcorn television but um i was fascinated when i went and I, and when i realized it was it was them i looked them up and i was really i was actually really happy to see that they are non-binary and that it was a piece of true casting and i agree with you i think that's one of the they're one of the only characters that I in, have enjoyed. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah you know, I mean, this. you know, uh, they are they are receiving um, uh, good notices, but I must say, take issue uh, with their uh, behaviour as a boss uh, when the hostess, uh, the the non-binary hostess, I I just you know prefer the feminine wherever possible um, of the XY podcast, which purports to talk about gender. Uh, which is something that Sex and the City purported to talk about, and now does so less, in my view, tells Carrie mm. to step her pussy up uh, after, yeah, Dr. Kelly Torrens, that was it, wasn't it? Like they had yes. uh, 11 years on Greys. Uh, did, they have that, did they have that yeah, long? Yeah, they did, 11 years on Greys, the longest-running LGBT character arguably uh, on uh, out LGBT character, which they were at the time on any uh, television program. They were part of part of my own, like they were super hot on that yeah, show. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not, not bad show. looking. I mean, um, Miranda's, uh, no. I so, so, so like we'll, we'll, we'll just do a little bit of a spoiler, uh, presuming that, you know, you may have actually watched this disgrace. Um, uh, she, she gets it on uh, with the drunken Miranda. Uh, they get it on. Sorry, see, I'm appalling too. Um, so do you remember this part where uh, Carrie is, like Miranda, you know, quite out of step in the context of a podcast about sex? Remembering, of course, Carrie is uh, famous for being a sex columnist, uh, but she finds herself suddenly unable to talk about sex in this context. I found that completely inauthentic. I thought that I was very angry yeah. about that, her not being able to talk about masturbating. That was bizarre. Like, fine, like pick something way yeah, bigger. I, I know. I, I mean, don't know what it is, but I was like. Do you remember when, um, you know, they, they all get together and buy Miranda the rabbit in, I mean, you know, masturbation is a, is a fairly prevalent theme in, in Sex and the City. Yeah. Um, and suddenly Car- uh, Carrie's um, prim and, and, and proper. Um, and I, I must say, I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy with Shay for asking her to dialogue more freely. You know, it's not a verb. It's a fucking <laughs> noun. <laughs> And it's it's yeah. I mean, and, and since when do you go to an interview for a podcast? 
I mean, you know, I don't think we had to pass any kind of uh, occupational test. Uh, but so she, uh, that, uh, she, Carrie, is see, she's covering up her bad pronouns, uh, is, is asked by uh, Shea, the character of Shea Rivera, her, her boss, to surprise yourself and sexually experiment, which I think is unacceptable and workplace harassment. Now, how does Carrie surprise herself in what I'd say is a fairly embarrassing scene that may lead to Asking death. her husband to, mo- to masturbate. Who hasn't asked their partner to have a wank in front of them? Yeah, it's, the whole thing is like that that, that whole storyline of Carrie and, and it continues with, her, with the young neighbour in future episodes. I understand, like I get what they're doing and saying, you know, it is a, they're very much saying, you know, it's a different time. It is a different time. Things have changed in gender, in sex, in political relations, in social, so you know, everything's different. Do you reckon? I think that's what they're trying yeah, to say. Yeah. And COVID's over. I do think it is a different yeah. world. I do think that someone with like a writer with Carrie's job is in a different time. And I do think that there would be, and I think that that's not the bad bit. I think there would be bits where she was slightly prudish about certain, about maybe some things. But masturbation? I was like, I was very angry. Yeah, or, I or just, I mean, just the just the implication that uh, you know Carrie was not talking about sex in the in the correct way. Like, it's actually a bad move of any boss. Also Talk that. about alienation also of the that. worker. Um, but you know, also I think um, now that uh, Carrie has declared to all of us her lack of qualification to be associated now or at any other time in history with the term sex. And, you know, like arguably this this particular perversion, this light perversion um, that she asks uh, her husband to engage in leads to his fatality. Sorry, I did actually think that he played that scene very well. I actually thought that how that scene wrapped up, despite it shouldn't have, like, it shouldn't have existed in the first place, I thought it was very funny that he pretended to moan Carrie and... Like I thought that was a good way to – the scene played out well even though I didn't think yeah, it should Yeah, look, exist. North's not bad. Um, as, uh, <laughs> as you know, as an actor, like um, as a – and, he, you know, he's always, as he as he was, you know, written to be very much kind of like removed from the action. Mm. Like he was an old-fashioned guy uh, despite the fact that, you know, he was a financier, right? Like he was a, an old-fashioned guy. Do you remember the scene – uh, it's the finale of season four and he's going to uh, Napa um, yes. uh, to presumably make uh, red wine in a vineyard that we never hear of again and uh, Carrie and Big uh, drink red and uh, they sway to vinyl before he moves away forever. It's a very romantic scene. It's a very Darren Star scene because, it's you know, it's Big going away. And is referenced by their relationship now in which every night they cook and listen yeah, to records. Yeah, and the, the vinyl then was Moon River, uh, peak uh, Mancini, mm. uh, Heartbreak, Hollywood, Swung Song of, uh, you know, Sweet Regret and Longing um, to classic rock from uh, Dad Rock from or probably Granddad Rock now from uh, Todd Rundgren's Something Anything album, which is actually a two-disc album, which is a bit of an ask. Uh, we're going to disc two, side two, track four, which brings the title, Hello, It's Me. There's quite a few Easter eggs like that, as they call them these days. Any mm. any fashion yeah. Easter eggs? I believe that there's a return of the, oh, what do you call that specific uh, Monolo? I, I I can't remember. It's the blue, the blue heel. Her wedding yeah, the, shoes. Her wedding shoes. Her wedding shoes. Her wedding shoes. Don't they? 
Uh, yes, and but they very heavily point that out. It's it's less an Easter egg and more a. Do you notice anything about me? And he's like, "I'm you're wearing the wedding shoes," and I was like, "I'm not stupid. <laughs> I know what yeah. they are." Like if I felt again, it was this like, you know what? It is? There's no subtlety in this oh show. It's just everything is just. And there wasn't necessarily in Sex in the City. But the oh, no, 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 there was. And this is everything is like, everything is like, we're diverse. This is a fashion flashback. This, you know, everything yeah, is yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 there are ways to interweave what is now very broadly known and would be known by, you know, all fans of the show formerly known as uh, Sex and the City, um, that there, you know, is a sort of a, a proper dialect and age of tolerance, you know, black square for BLM, all of that. That would be very widely known yeah, uh, by, by the audience, but it has to be pointed out. And whereas, you know, particularly in the early seasons, it was like this, as, as you said, sort of like very uh, mosaic, very multimedia approach to making the show and there's just like rapid fire references which are very, very funny. Um, do take their cue in some part, particularly in the early seasons, from Candace Bushnell's column and, you know, they do identify sort of like uh, archetypes of the age, right, by reference to the Magnolia Bakery or whatever the fuck it was or the modelising bachelor, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But um, it is, as you say, you know, it's like, it's like this is Woke 101 um, and it's done with all of the elegance and grace of Lena Dunham's mouth in the moment it forms an opinion. It's just ridiculous. And, uh, I mean, at least Lena Dunham had decent, you know, screenwriting to offset her bad hey, attitude. We just don't necessarily ag- agree on television that much because I fucking love Girls. I absolutely fucking girls love it. Girls was a, a, a brilliant program. Every time Lena yeah, Dunham show. opens her mouth. <laughs> okay, outside of the show, I, yes. I, I mean, uh, it's awful. I mean, what happens every time she opens yeah. her mouth? I don't know. If you turn around three times... Murphy Brown appears or something. I mean, she is just like the er uh, dickhead of the age. Well, she, yeah, and it's she's she's just the she thinks like she's the the work dickhead who thinks she's real, but you know had the most privileged upbringing you can imagine and access to the most easy paths that none that that's that, unforgivable if you shut the fuck up. I think. Yeah, but that's what that's you don't. If, if you, <laughs> that's why she doesn't. Um, but. Yeah, the, I think it is. It's this this lack of subtlety and them just constantly cramming down my throat. And I get it. They were in a. I think that they were in a position. I think any show that reboots now is in a position where they have things that they have to address and they have things that they have to. But I mean, um, how are do. they in that position? I mean, like the overwhelming majority don't face lives like that. And as I said earlier. These things have all been very much naturalised by the potential audience. As we, we were saying with, um, you know, uh, Harlot Pork, uh, Charlotte York, <laughs> um, you, you know, there is this, this, this character who's very eager to seem progressive but must do so to maintain her social position because not to do so is social death, which is not a good motivation for being fucking nice, right? So the whole potential audience has already naturalised all of that stuff. It is a topic of constant debate in mainstream media. Um, It was the very character of the 2016 election. None of this stuff is new. Um, But I, I guess that some of this stuff 
the the fact that it is so new to the the women of sex in the city and there's only it's only naturalized within the what I can only presume is an unlistenable podcast x and y about gender and sexual roles in which you know Carrie fails to step her pussy up Bad workplace harassment there, Shay. Did they not do any pre-testing with her well, as well? Yeah, she, I mean, she references that. <laughs> she says, you were so funny in your interview. But, yeah, yeah I just, I mean, I, where have these women been? You know, how have they been so cosseted for so long that this new language is unfamiliar to, yeah. to, to several of them? Especially for Carrie as a, a woman in the media, um, even a as a woman in, in fashion. Media. A woman oh, in the yes, media. Oh, yes, very much so, very much so. I mean, Fashion Week, um, you know, is doing its best to doff the cap to, as you say, diversapalooza, right? Oh, yeah, there's there's always now a diverse ethnic lineup. There's now bigger ladies. It's Excuse in me, everything. inclusive and I do, sizing. Inclusive sizing. Um, look, I think that any of this, like fashion, it is, a lot of it is token and it is very clunky, but I do think that any industry trying to move forward and I'm not necessarily granting fashion that they're wanting to move forward for ethical and and moral no, reasons. I mean just very much like the golden blats um and to an extent yeah. uh you know like Miranda uh, th- these are you know these have become sort of like aspirational acquisitions appear as though mm you are diverse. Now, diversity is posited, yeah. um, diversity as it is understood, broadly and badly by uh, corporate media is just that. It's just like equal representation, as they say, uh, in the same institutions. Yeah. So Park Avenue is um, the same as the impoverished. It's window dressing. The impoverished. Well, you know, I mean, the, the, in one sense, yes. I mean, that sort of like uh, those things are also very important. I mean, it's sort of I, I think to without wishing to in any way critique you rock here on and just like crap that that somewhat diminishes. I, people feel very strongly about these sorts of things and there's no reason that they shouldn't think, oh, well, if we have diversity and if we change our attitudes, the shape of the world will follow when, in fact, the shape no. of the world and the shape of history produces precisely these kind of prejudices. But it's just so fucking badly handled and it's so seven years yeah. out of date. Now, I do think that that the um, it's jumping forward in the season but there's a, the, you know, there's the... Storyline where Charlotte and Harry are having a dinner party and Charlotte realises she needs to have black people at the dinner party and that becomes, you know, her trying to make that happen. I actually think this this is the only bit that seemed quite self-referential to me and quite good in... I agree. In that, you know, she was like, I need these people. I need people to see that I have black yeah, yeah, friends. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, and uh, Anthony is permitted to underscore that in a sarcastic camp way that was the lingua franca of the sex in the city that we remembered and took, you know, like modified hmm. pleasure from. Yeah, Anthony's- because Anthony said, you know, he refers to, I can't remember the name of the character who becomes Charlotte's friend, but, you know, she has children at the at, at the same school. And uh, Anthony oh, calls her. Um, LT, LTW. Uh, uh, and uh, Anthony calls her the Black Charlotte. Now, I did look at a few references and that was widely critiqued as racist, et, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, for, for mine, um, Anthony 
uh, is um, calling it out, as it were, uh, to use the lingua franca of the current moment um, in current quarters of media that Sex and the City gets so wrong. And without uh, that sort of like cynical voice of the the Stanfords or the Anthony's uh, or the Samanthas, and why that why 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 does Stanford get kicked out? That's probably a discussion for for another time. I mean, Stanny was always the best friend, not Anthony, because Willie Garson died. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> he died while they were like filming. after the first episode. He died during filming. Oh, they I had didn't to write know. him out. <laughs> yeah. Oh no! You know who else died fictionally? Mm-hmm. Bobby Fine, one of the best. Um, one of the best incident oh, Bitsy, characters. Bitsy's Bitsy's Bella. Bitsy von Muffling's Bella. Yeah, there, there's a bit of a reference from Bitsy von Muffling, and why do we just get like seven seconds? Seven seconds of the fabulous Bitsy. Oh, no, von I want a whole. I want a spinoff. Just Bitsy von Muffling, please. Uh, she was impregnated by Bobby Fine, her husband. Broadway producer and song and dance man, uh, who was always presumed homosexual, played by the goddess Nathan Lane, ah. whom I very much adore, as I'm sure you do. Absolutely right? not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and then and then there's uh, yeah, Karen Sharon Karen Karen Sharon makes a, make makes an appearance, but also we're we're going all over the shop. I didn't know. I'm so sorry. I didn't know that he died. <laughs> I just can't believe it oh, didn't come awful. up. What the COVID? Um, I do, I don't actually know. Um, oh, I'm sure it's out there. I just yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, look, I know you'll. Uh, I I was curious, um, and I wanted to find out uh, what Lily was playing at the fictional um, mm-hmm. Manhattan School of Music. Uh, we need to talk about about this whole situation yeah. too. Uh, we also need to talk because uh, you know you you have very favourable views of the post Patricia Field uh, era of um, styling, costume design, wardrobe, whatever one wants to call it. But it's actually Sonata Number no. Fourteen in C Sharp Minor of the Moonlight series. Uh, but not the easy one. Uh, Opus 27, number two, three, Presto Agitato by Beethoven, regarded as, well, uh, apparently a little bit of a twee choice, but quite quite technically difficult. That's what Lily plays. Thank you. I've been losing uh, sleep over that. And uh, they go to Lily's recital, a decision that uh, Carrie and Big have made earlier, a fatal decision in a re-rendering of the Preston schedule, I think you'll find rock, because she goes off to this thing to watch Lily play and then Biggs all alone on his Pelotron. It's a Pelotron, isn't it? Peloton. 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 Mm. And um, so so the Presto Agitato is actually 163 beats per minute, which is for Big heart attack tempo i i thought that that was done extremely well i thought with that play it was a nice it was a nice montage of death yeah i thought i thought his i thought that whole bit was done extremely well i think his death was done well except for her just standing there for like an hour before going over to him but like they they that was beautifully done what i like what i couldn't grasp was I cannot imagine ever, and again, I know this isn't a real show, but any of my friends forcing me to come to their child's piano recital when I have a holiday booked. I know it's just well, it's it was just, just the Hamptons. It's just it was just the, it was just their second house in the yeah, Hamptons. But life. for any reason, like no, no, not one of my friends is going to force me to go to their child's piano recital. It's well, this is the delusional Michael Patrick King idea of female friendship. Like true female friends would not impose their fucking no. rights 
on each other. Fuck no. And also, I mean, that's another thing. This is thing. what two childless women say. Well, the thing is true. But the thing is, is that I understood where, like, I was, I was actually thinking about it because I was watching it, rewatching the first step today and I, watching the later step yesterday and going, no women, no one spends this much time together. Like, that, that, I see my friends once every six months. Like, but in the, in the original series, I was like, okay, they were all single. You know, they didn't have, you know, you never heard anything about their families ever. Mm their parents, their siblings, except for Samantha fucking Miranda's brother. Um, oh, when did she do that? I, I can't tell you when. Um, Samantha fucked everyone, though. Was it Miranda's brother or Charlotte's brother? One of their brothers. She fucked one of yeah. those. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the, they, they are together all the time. And, it, like, again, I, yeah. think, I think I don't want to harp on things that aren't because they're not realistic, because it's not actually, it's not a show based in reality. <laughs> this is so like our lives. Get <laughs> a camera in our apartment. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you keep um, underscoring that fact. Sex in the City was never realistic. I mean, all, all of the early critiques uh, were, you know, similar to sort of critiques of, say, um, you know, from a slightly earlier era, Madonna, that it was lightweight, that it was tied up in fashion. Yes, yes, and yes. I mean, there is nothing wrong with shallow entertainment. No. Um, it, it was, yeah, yeah, it was a relentlessly perky show with a smart mouth and beautiful clothes. Yeah. I never expected anything more from that and was, you know, I was actually kind of disturbed uh, when, you know, the showrunner, started sort of like demanding that sort of thing of the cast. Carrie was never fucking likeable. No. She was a little strumpet. And now they're all fucking reformed and fumbling for a wokeness that they should have encountered, especially in New York City, you know, home of the DNC elite, the coastal elite, that they should have grappled with uh, years ago. But I just, um, I did want to go back to the death on the Peloton. From what I understand, a very high-end exercise machine that provides you with real and or virtual trainers. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah, so it's Peloton is, it's the, it's everything. It's a vibe. It's like it's machines, but it's also you can sign up to online. You don't have to have a bike. You can, it's a whole, yeah. it's a whole kind of online exercise system where they do classes online. Like if you buy an actual Peloton bike, it will come pre-programmed with a lot of stuff but you can do it with another bike. It's just, it's an exercise. It was, I got to say, I got to say, I liked the reference too. And it was about, it was the only moment uh, in the, in the premiere uh, where I thought, oh, Peloton, I didn't know about that. And then I, you know, looked it up, found out, you know, it is just as you described it. And, you know, now, and particularly sort of like post COVID, we're not post COVID. I mean, Omicron is raging through the population. Yeah. Uh, like Miranda through a podcast host. But I, I liked learning about that. I mean, not because it's important, but just because that was what Sex in the City often delivered, especially in a place uh, like Australia, you know, where we got printed material six months after the fact, which was, you know, very much the case in the 1990s, like right up till the early 2000s, really. And it sort of like kept me up to date with nonsense. Mm. Um, I I'm sure that you've heard of this, but Peloton actually got North, uh, Chris, Chris North, right, mm. the guy that plays Big, a.k.a. John Preston, uh, the dead guy, uh, to do an advertisement for them. Uh, right, right. It, was, sort of, 
Ryan Ran- it was uh, with Ryan Reynolds. Right, right, right. So Ryan Reynolds, the night, like, I think it was the night he died. Yeah, like, well, because he died on the peloton, obviously. Ryan Reynolds, yeah. like, pitched North. I don't know how it actually happened, but Ryan, you know, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds keep, like, does this often. He has funny ideas for brands and he'll do an ad for them or, or whatever. Um, I find him a really interesting human. Anyway. Well, I, I never did until Deadpool 2, which is fucking hilarious. He's, uh, he's, I, I was never, I was never, I never found him like hot. I was never particularly interested in him. In, You're in lying, him Rock. As an act. You want him in your giny. Absolutely do not. But breaker, breaker, one niner. You want social, him in your vagina. Stop it. His social media is hilarious. He does funny things. So he got Chris North and they did this ad. Should we take another ride? Life's too short not to. <laughs> and just like that, the world was reminded that regular cycling stimulates and improves your heart, lungs, and circulation, reducing your risk of cardiovascular diseases. Cycling strengthens your heart muscles, lowers resting pulse, and reduces blood fat levels. He's alive. Which is now gone again. Yeah, well, because North got me too, didn't he? North did get me too. And can I say, devastated. Like, absolutely devastated. I loved I Were loved you? Devast- I Were loved you? Laura and Order. I loved The Good Wife. I love like Bo-bom. I absolutely loved him. I am. There's not many people who have been me, me too. Where I've been like, oh, that's sad. I'm I'm sad to learn that about that person. This guy, I was like fully devastated. It Jerry Orbach would not have let this happen. I want to say though that there was a bit there was a bit of a boo boo in the in the early scene. If we are ever to see Kim Cattrall, and who doesn't want to see Samantha Jones PR in its uh, not not uh, sexagenarian iteration. I can't remember what you call people in their sixties. I mean, I do want sexagenarian. Of course, it is the sexagenarian. And wouldn't she have fun with that word? She she certainly would. Um, and so in the early things where they're all saying, "Oh, it's so sad. I miss Samantha. She's no longer with us. I always thought she'd be my friend forever." Blah blah blah. And they said, "Why?" And Carrie says. Uh, well, I guess uh, when, uh, you know, when she was no longer doing my PR, she didn't need me. I want to point out, because I was watching, Samantha Jones' PR repped Carrie pro bono. There was never an invoice. Mm. Fuck off, Carrie. Mm. Do, 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 but do, also do, fuck, do, off, fuck off with the idea that Samantha would have this hissy fit about that. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. It's so out of character. I do think that. The choice that they've made to rather than just go, okay, we've said that she's in London, we've dealt with that, let's never speak about it again. I do think that they're con- like they talk about her, Carrie having a text with her at, at one point. Like I do, I do like that they've kept her around, you know. And I, I wasn't expecting that. I was very much expecting a she's gone to London. They urgently need Samantha. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They urgently need Darren Starr. And Darren Starr urgently needs to stop fucking making Emily in Paris, which is just like a bonfire of embarrassment for him and for my gender. Don't watch that shit. And don't watch and just like crap. Uh, or, and uh, just see, like see we, we, we do disagree here. Okay, okay. Now, I, I, want, I want to know because uh, Rock is perhaps the premium uh, stylist of her generation. <laughs> she can spot a fake at 20 paces. She's wrapped in 
Python tight, I don't know what's fucking in at the moment. I don't know. I'm just going to say Mark Jacobs. Right at this minute, you do, what you will give uh, to the series is um, the maintenance of its high fashion standards. I, uh, I'm, I'm extremely impressed. I think they've done a fantastic job. I do think there are slip-ups. There are there have been a few moments in the season so far that I've been like, uh, like there's one where she's basically just wearing like a boho caftan and a big bag, which 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 is very out of step with Carrie's character and it's very out of step with the show. But I think that, who is it? What are their names? It's it's um, Jenny Santiago. Yeah, and the lady and is... Um, Molly Rogers. Uh, yeah. They both worked on uh, Sex and the City and yeah. uh, Molly, Molly uh, Rogers and uh, Patricia Field who has done all sorts um, and she's worked with with Molly for a very yeah. with both of them for a very long time yeah. uh, Molly was um, the uh, associate costume designer on the Devil Wears Prada as well okay yeah I look I think they're doing fantastically I think they're really marrying Carrie sticking to like there are lots of new designers that you can see on there obviously you know it's never said on the show but she's wearing a lot of very like Batsheva is is one of my favorite new designers she wears it at one point. Um, and what the show was always really good at doing was showing how to wear clothes, but how to wear clothes in in interesting and different ways. That's Carrie's. That to me was always Carrie's thing. It wasn't that she had the latest fashion because to me, having the latest fashion doesn't mean you're fashionable. It means you you're rich and you can you can buy what's in a shop. But the way that she or, wears, or you're thin enough to afford the sample sizes, and or you're thin enough to afford the sample sizes, but. You know, Carrie's always pushing boundaries and I think what they've done really well is marry all these like great up-and-coming, incredible, often New York designers with the old guard. There's still the Fendi in there. There's still, you know, there's still the Chanel occasionally. There's still the Manolos. But, yeah, I'm I'm loving it. And she looks somewhat absurd sometimes and that's what that's what the show does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I as much as... You know, as my uh, my garb today will uh, testify, Rock. As much as I don't know fashion, I know very much uh, the images of Sex in the City and how they weren't as as you've again admirably underscored several times. Sex in the City was never a realistic show. It was gay men playing with Barbie dolls dressed in haute couture, and that was good enough for me. And girls being filthy mouthed, of course. Um, so you know, you, of course, you're not going to see women uh, around you dressed like the gals in Sex and the City. Although, arguably, you are going to see the, the other characters. I think yes, the other characters yeah. are very like Charlotte is always prim. She's always in a in a frock. She's always in. It's always girly. Oh, yeah. She's just sort of like. Brooks Brothers, or yeah, whatever. and it's 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 expensive for sure. But like some of Carrie's outfits, like I like to go, okay, how much does Carrie's outfit cost now? And she's wearing, at times, I would say a hundred thousand dollars worth of clothes with the different pieces that she's she's got on, like in one outfit. Can, can we just talk about Patricia Field because it's I, I again I don't I don't really know fashion at all or style. Um, I'm. Beso- I was besotted, as a lot of people are, with the you know the the title image of Carrie in the original series in her tutu, you know, shot yeah. against a grey New York with uh, presumably uh, a pack of uh, uniformly handsome uh, available robot bachelor armies, and that and twist, she's in that backwards twist that she does, yeah, that yeah, final look yeah. is just it's just a moment in pop culture that is so beautiful. 
impossibly thin, mm. uh, which, and again, underscoring uh, Rock's earlier point, no, it's not realistic. She was not a fucking role model. She was a homewrecker who famously spent um, several housing deposits on shoes. Uh, she kept her clothes in uh, the oven. She was, you know, uh, repeatedly late with her deadline. Often and not gets, a good friend at all. Often a terrible, oh God. terrible, like I would argue that Samantha was often the best friend of anyone in that show. There oh, were yes, so many yes. things that Samantha did, maybe Miranda, but no, Carrie, Carrie was, again, Carrie was, was Jerry Seinfeld. You're not supposed to think she's a good person. Like yeah. that's not, and you're not supposed to, ide- I think it's the identifying with. I think that some people, whenever they, some people watch television and you hear this from people like, oh, I couldn't watch girls because they're not nice characters or I couldn't watch you know, this because I couldn't identify with anyone. And I'm like, I'm not looking to television to identify with anyone or for nice characters necessarily. Like, I, that's I, not- I know. I mean, I found that because, uh, you know, in a former incarnation before all I did was watch television all the time, I was, a, you know, a television critic and there was this sort of like turn in criticism, a critical turn in criticism where shows were assessed almost entirely for how much one could identify with the characters, which, you know, not unfunnily enough, but directly related to a theme of our conversation and a poorly explored theme of And Just Like That itself, that became part of, you know, the hollow end of the new woke, uh, where representation was all, that as long as we had uh, Diversapalooza on Netflix and what have you, diversity in the real world would ensue. Like there's this f- enormous importance placed on what were hitherto shallow entertainments. Representation and likability have become like this. Yeah, fuck yeah. I mean, so, you know, Seinfeld, which you know, I was also a fan of, repugnant creatures absolutely repugnant creatures. I mean, the whole history of fiction is is fucking littered with people that you detest. I mean, the the Bible, I mean, God's not a guy I can identify with. So so when when did this happen? When did we become sort of like godlike creatures? I mean, I don't think that we did. I'd I also like that, to say know, that um I don't feel represented personally as a Jewish woman by Charlotte Charlotte York Goldenblatt saying hala I know for her dinner. And oi, that there was a moment she said oi at one point, and I wanted to punch the screen. And not asserting her own cultural diversity. No, she's doing that through, I guess, parenting. But so, so I just, I just wanted you to talk about uh, Patricia Field, if you can, for a minute, and um, relate what you were saying earlier, which was that there is this uh, kind of like uh, delightful pastiche of uh, vintage pieces, emerging designers. Uh, clothes styled or designed in a way uh, hitherto unseen. Now that is uh, that's what you're saying about the new series. With, oh, and it was um, it was very much pioneered by and Patricia it was Fields. The case on the old one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I don't I don't know so much about emerging. I mean, I guess Manolo was kind. I mean, Sex in the City put Manolo on the map. Like it had been around, but. But this is a different era. I mean, we didn't have net a portée or whatever. We didn't have net a portée. We didn't have social media. We didn't. I think that I think that maybe where Patricia Field was more about marrying vintage with with high end. Yep. This new guard is like is more about marrying emerging and cool designers 
with high yeah, end. With, um, and the vintage items appear from Sarah Jessica Parker's own archive of Sex and the City yeah. outfits, which apparently she got to fucking keep. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and, I mean, it's just one of the, again, for uh, like uh, unlike uh, Rock here, Rambo, uh, not a terribly well-dressed lady, but, you know, even I know the name Patricia Field because it was such an extraordinary uh, creative collaboration between not just Patricia and uh, the character of Carrie Bradshaw, but Sarah Jessica Parker, not exactly known uh, as uh, a receptacle of style before Sex and the City. Um, I remember her wearing kind of like overall oh, dresses was, and what. And yeah, there was a lot of body, not bodycon in the in the Hervé Léger sense. Yeah, she was, she was just, she wore very tight stuff a lot. That, that's oh, kind of right, what right. I remember. And, I remember from her. And and then I mean, she she changed the character of SJP, right? Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that, the Carrie that... Carrie and, and and SJP at least stylistically completely merged, and now she is. Yeah. She's not. You know, I I don't think you don't see her kind of like paparazzi shots on the street being as put together as Carrie always is, and as what you know in heels and blah 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 blah. Like she always looks fashionable. But like she'll bring it to an event. She's got her own shoe store now, and shoe line. But yeah, I do think that. The- oh yeah, she's often been paid millions to uh, you know sort of appear in Australia at one-offs, like yeah. um, you know spring racing carnival. Yeah, and she was never she was never a person known before her collaboration. It was a very mutually beneficial collaboration. Yeah, and look, I don't um, think she was a Patricia person- Field would not have got that budget anywhere else, would she? No, no, I don't think so. No. Um, we'd, we'd, we'd we'd never seen that kind of uh, that kind of couture. Um, no. So incidentally, and that like on, I, I, on screen, I, like one thing I want to say is that like the other women are generally like Miranda is generally wearing fashion. Like she's generally wearing. I know. Like, she's she's just she's not wearing the best of it, and she's not wearing it well. There's a dowdiness, and it's intentional. Like they do yeah. it, they do it quite well, but. One of my, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know this, but my probably all-time favourite designer is Dries Van Noten and I haven't loved his stuff No, I don't last... know that. I'm sorry. Okay, so that, here's my favourite. Here's my favourite. and Dries, Dries, love his work. Absolutely. His last, few, his last few seasons I haven't loved, but when I don't love them it's more that I don't love them for me but I appreciate the aesthetic. Yeah. But... Miranda wears him a couple of times throughout this season and it's killing me because she wears it so badly. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, stop ruining trees. Um, so the semaphore of style in Rock's opinion continues. There is a 2-2 reference uh, later on. Big's dead. I think we've covered that. Dead on a peloton and dead culturally one hopes because he's been cancelled. Uh, we also discovered that Rock thinks that Ryan Reynolds is a real gone dude. Uh, had I not seen Deadpool 2 by accident, I would not agree with, uh, what, what was his name, um, the, you know, the party animal, Van, not Van Helsing, uh, Van yeah. whatever his name was. Van Wilder. Van Wilder, party animal. Uh, but, you know, in this sort of, you know, the the autopsy times of the, the human uh, species uh, where, um, you know, Bad shit's breaking out like a rash all over the place. Uh, on balance, I would say that, and just like that, is television psoriasis. I'm not a huge fan, but I will continue to watch. Please play along with us, Rock and Rambo, with And Just Like Crap. Rock, do you have final words? Um, I have two. Um, 
two final points. One is that we need to discuss next time for our audience who will be missing what I loved, which was for you. Miranda's horny, horny, horny teenage son. I love that storyline. I think it's fucking hilarious. It, her yeah. stepping on a condom in his room, then making out at the at the recital. Fucking love it. Let's talk about it later. Teenage, it's probably illegal in the nation state of Australia for us to talk about a potentially underage sex. Did you know that? I did not know that. I love censorship in this nation. Okay, no, 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 let us not talk de- about Miranda's horny No, diet. don't depict it. Don't depict it. It's illegal to depict it. Okay, we'll not depict Miranda's mm. horny child's sex. Yeah. Also, I would like to say I am thoroughly enjoying watching this. It's it's a hate oh, yeah. it's a hate watch, but like, and there are there are moments that I do think are great. Like there have been, and I pointed that out a few times. Like there have been moments, but in general, it's terrible. But I'm really happy they made it. Yeah, for for me, it's kind of like a yardstick of broader decline. Mm. Sex and the City, kind of like never, never premiere art, always like a delightful uh, incidental confection a guilty pleasure, if you will, and now not as good, just like everything else. And just like that. Yeah, so uh, next on to uh, episode two and uh, the funeral of Mr Big. Sometimes I feel like I reckon. my hands up in the air. I know I can count on you. Can you please also acknowledge Sometimes that I have I worn like my carry inspired eyewear? But you got the love I need.